the targeted drugs are great they're keeping people alive for longer but some of the chemo and the radiotherapy has caused bone marrow issues and you're going to get more secondary cancers as a result and this was what was happening to me treatment related uh, type of leukemia sort of early form of leukemia yeah so yeah so that is an ex so you're, you're right that is an, a definite extrapolation of yeah. what we're seeing today that people forget that chemo and radiation cause new cancers yeah not just cause it to spread but cause yeah new and, cancers. and here we are somebody who had it so and um it was uh i i knew i was in deep trouble at this point welcome to the practicing with dr nathan goodyear podcast i'm the medical director at brio medical in scottsdale arizona i am both a conventionally trained and licensed medical doctor as well as a licensed medical homeopathic doctor this podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Super excited to bring you um, actually a new series. You know, every, everybody I talk to, I tell them there's four principles that guide me. Hope, heal, teach, and serve. And that teach arm is one that is so desperately need because I think the teaching can actually empower hope. And without hope, you can't heal. And so I came across a book. It's not me that came across the book. I can't take credit for that. But I would say that when my patients come in and I sit down and talk to them the first time, I want to kind of learn to know them. I want to hear them. And there's many questions I'll ask them, but a lot of cases I'll ask them, well, you know, where are you coming from? Tell me your story. What are you reading? And there's three books which tend to dominate, but almost all of the number one or number two in that top three would be a book, How to Starve Cancer. And so for me, I had to go read it because my patients were reading it. Well, guess who we have with us today? It is the author of this, and I'm going to get this right now, international bestseller. It that, is. That's pretty awesome. It's in 12 languages now, which mm -hmm. I'm so pleased about. And you I, speak all 12 languages, of right? Of course, of course. <laughs> I couldn't even get a publisher in the UK. They all rejected it. So I published it myself, and then all of these international publishers have taken it on. That's so fantastic. I'm like, yes, and two fingers up to the British <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that because I don't know. That's a British thing. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, in the U.S., it's just one. Okay. It's just one. So, and is that is it's it less that, that? rude? Okay. It's less rude okay. than the one. Jane, it is a true honor to meet you, and and I don't say that lightly because you are, as as it says here, an international bestseller. Um, you've you've won awards for the book, as you yep. mentioned. It's been translated into how many languages? 12. Okay. Yeah. And so every one of these podcasts will be translated into all 12 languages <laughs> by Jane McClellan. So <laughs> that will be fun. But um, so when I picked this up, because I had to, because my patients kept talking about it. And, you know, you and I have talked before we started this podcast is I don't typically read books about medicine, about cancer, because a lot of them are written by doctors, and a lot of them are pure fluff. Yep. Uh, that, that's not your book. And so as I told you, it seems to me, and I may be wrong, so if I'm wrong, correct me, it's kind of broken up in two parts. Correct. There is your story. Yep. And then there is 
the what to do about it, the yeah. biology, the biochemistry, the treatments, etc., the application. So me, science guy, and a guy, I'm gonna go to the back, <laughs> and that's this what is I did. Very typical. That's right. Very typical. And the reason yeah. is because I wanted to make sure I knew your story was gonna be powerful. Yeah. I knew it was gonna touch emotion, mm -hmm. because that's what you know. That's what a good story does. A story that speaks truth, that tr that speaks experience, is one that will touch the heart and touch the soul. So I knew that would happen. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, you get my heart and soul before I get to the data. Okay. <laughs> so so what I did is I went to the data and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see and hear the story. Yeah. Because this is what every doctor should be writing. And it's amazing. And we'll talk about your book in detail, but um, well done. Well Thank done. You. So, Thank you. And, and those listening, those watching, it is a book you must have. Uh, I did buy this. She didn't give it to me. I wouldn't let her give me one. Uh, she will sign it. So. I will sign it. Uh, How to Starve Cancer. It's one you need to find. Where, where can they find it? Oh, you can uh, a few Barnes & Noble, but essentially you'll find it on Amazon or my website, which is howtosolvecancer.com. So okay. you can order directly from there. And they can find you on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on, and... Yes, um, I, either under How to Solve Cancer or I have a quite a big group on Facebook called Jane McClelland Off-Label Drugs for Cancer. There you nice go. Nice little short, yeah. not short, <laughs> little name. But anyway, Remember so... Remember that and spell that right. I know, and people never spell my name right. It's M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-D. And, and it's Jane, <laughs> not John, right? And it's Jane. <laughs> so if you type my name in and then put, um, actually, it'll probably come up at that point anyway. I've already got over 80,000 people in there. So um, it's very popular and lots of research in there, free research for people to go and find out what works for them. And the other thing is I get lots of these positive uh, progress reports from people. I get them pretty much every day, somebody doing really well with my approach and they've either had stage four, they've managed to reverse it, either go into NED or they've managed to stop it or they've slowed it down and they've had a reduction in what's been termed, you know, impossible to cure yeah. tumors. So, you know, it's very inspirational for people. There's a lot to learn and you can see what other people have done as well. So people actually post a little bit about what they've taken, their supplement programs as well. They're maybe not all correct, but it gives people an idea of, of what has worked for somebody else in potentially a similar situation. They have to write exactly what the histology of the cancer is, etc. the subtype. I, I, I need that info and patients want that info as well. Um, so now, it's, now it's before info. before we actually met this morning and before I read your and I read your book, we had only communicated through, you know, LinkedIn and stuff like that. But I think it's important for you to understand the words that she's saying. And, and when you read the book, you're going to get that as well, especially in the latter part. She's using scientific terms. She's using clinically validated terms. So when somebody comes in, they say, I want to be cured of cancer. That, that word cure, that is a word that's not scientific. It's not been clinically validated and been shown to be reproducible. But no evidence of disease, NED, that is overall remission. These are real evidence-based terms, meaning 
we can approach natural, holistic, and integrative strategies and repurpose medication, supplements, nutrition, all tie into that. Because that, that, that is the essence of this book. Yeah. It's but not, it's it's not a science. one trick. It's, it's not, the science. Yeah. It's the science yeah. and it's, it's beautiful. So you touched on, you touched on, you know, what patients want is the what, right? Yeah. They want to know what to do. But I don't think we can adequately, Jane, know the what no. until we hear your story because your story is what helped to develop the it what. Is. It is. And my journey through that, I think a lot of it was intuition as part of it as well. And I think people, when they have cancer, they need to tune in to their own intuition as to what they think will help them. And I think that's a key part of what you do as well. But part of that is actually learning. You can't give yourself any choice about it if you don't know what the options are. Mm. So you've got to learn the options. You've got to say, okay, which bit's right for me? Or do I try and layer all of them in, you know? And that's the thing. And how do you do that? But uh, if you want me to reel back to my story. Yeah, yeah let's hear your story because okay. I, I think your story, like I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to touch the heart. It's going to yeah. touch the soul. And then we'll let the science and the data take care of the rest. All right. <laughs> so so my, my story goes way back to 1994. It seems like uh, an eternity away. And I was trained as a physiotherapist and I was working as a physio and starting to get bleeding and stuff. I went to um, doctor. Unfortunately, I ended up under a, a, a very rogue um, guy. He wasn't even an oncologist or anything. He, he, he'd actually lied about his status to get the job. And <clears throat> there was a national recall of all of his patients. And 19 women had actually died because they'd slipped through the, the net. But he was doing biopsies on people in the wrong place. Why was oh. he doing that? Um, and he was allowing cancers to progress. There was kind of like a, a very um, nasty undercurrent as to why he was doing that. I think he was, I don't know, I, you know, I can't speculate and I can't make any big claims about it, but I'm very suspicious about his motives and exactly what he was doing. Mm. Um, I slipped through the net and I was getting panicked because I was still bleeding, I was still not getting rid of the uh, problem. You had cervical cancer, right? I had oh, cervical cancer. Oh, at that cancer. point you didn't know. No, I didn't know. So I then uh, ran off to a private guy and literally three days later, I was back in London and I was having surgery, like full hysterectomy, the lot. And it, devastating for me, because that was, I was 30 years old. I just met my now life partner, my husband, um, and we weren't sure how that would affect me, you know, it affects your sex life, it affects so many aspects. It wasn't just a sort of a lump to be removed, you know, it was a, um, it was pretty devastating. So um, yeah, I had to work hard on all sorts of aspects of my life to get back to some sort of normality, but it's it was um, really hard for me and, and the facility loss um, was devastating. You know, I always wanted to have a family and that was uh, the big thing for me. So I, you know, I, I really felt like I might as well die at this point. I just didn't want to live. I was very depressed about my situation. Um, <clears throat> and Andrew, thank God, has been an absolute solid rock all the way through. And very practical. It's very male-like to go for the data and the science first. <laughs> That's but why I said let's it's see, a guy thing. Let's see what we can do. By the and way, intuition is more of a lady thing because yeah. the guys oh, yeah. come in, they say, Probably. well, you know, I look like Brad Pitt and they're fat. You know, they're they're four foot ten, 
you know, 300 pounds, bald. It's like, no, you're not Brad Pitt. So women are intuitive, men yeah. not so much. So. No. <laughs> so there I was, age 30, infertile, and about to have chemo, and it was just awful. Anyway, we decided I was already... So anyway, I, 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 I did the normal stuff, the chemo, the radiotherapy, all of those terrible things. And she gave me so much. She said, I might kill you with this because it had spread to my lymph nodes and stuff at this point. But I still, in the back of my head, she said, oh, it's stage 1B, which is a different classification. Cervical cancer is different to other cancers in how they um, stage it. It's about how much it's spread or whatever, rather than in the local area, rather than the lymph nodes, etc. Right. It would be stage 3 with any other cancers. So in my head, I go, oh, I'm stage one, slow growing cervical cancers, normally so growing. Ignoring the fact that I had it really young, that's a big factor. You know, you have a cancer when you're younger, it means it's much more aggressive. As you get older, it tends to be slower. And I always get anyway. tickled with, they say, you know, cancer, well, you have the slow growing type. That's like saying, well, I, you were in a car wreck. Yeah, but you were in the slow, <laughs> the slow speed traffic automobile accident. It's like still accident right still <laughs> yeah. not good well no well you know mine was aggressive <laughs> yes, and i it didn't was. really your age is exactly that that's, yeah that is a warning sign it's a warning for sign any Same cancer. With, yeah and prostate cancer in particular oh, you know, yeah. younger guys that get prostate cancer get on with treating it yeah. you know don't think it's slow like most prostate cancer anyway digressing back to me <laughs> that was my fault sorry it's all right and <laughs> uh where was i so i've i had huge doses of chemo radiotherapy and yeah, she said I might kill you with it, but you know, you yeah, she actually said that. She made that comment. And um so I thought, okay, well, you know, I survived it. Um and then uh, I, I kind of did, but I was so depressed I didn't really care about life at this point. I still continued to eat badly, I was, you know, not looking after myself, I put on loads of weight and I was just in a mess. Then my mum got breast cancer, stage four. She'd had mm. a, you know, she what she called a, a spot of bother before but she kind of brushed it under the carpet as nothing much to worry about and then it had spread so it spread to her liver spread to you know her lungs and things so anyway she lasted about 10 8 10 weeks with stage four during that time i am deep into as much research as i can get hold of you know this was a shock to me and you know stage four is not curable and this was Wow, I thought we had, you know, and all this information that comes at you from the press and the media about how we're curing stage four and or or the potential to actually, you know, but it's it's impressions that the public get oh, yeah. about treating cancer and they think it's curable. And it really isn't when it gets to stage four, you know. Well not traditionally anyway. So <clears throat> this was a massive wake up call to me and then the realization that my cancer was actually really a stage three. I was only one step removed from stage four myself. But so, I mean, I watched my mum die, it was awful. And then I was like thrown, and she's kind of like the reason I'm still here. So she was, she was like the, I'm, my job is to teach you not to die, really. So I then went straight into research for myself as well. I changed my diet. Clearly I realized that glucose was a problem. Um, I needed to cut down on, on the amount of sugar in my diet and I needed to block out IGF-1. So meat, dairy, then got cut out. Um, and then I started to, to, to look at other things as well and build my protocol and then find integrative doctors. And there aren't that many. And unfortunately, my two doctors that I use, so I use Dr. Calibou, 
um, I say use, like consulted with, and he was brilliant. Um, but sadly, he died two years ago. Uh, I feel bereft and lacking my mentor and my, you know, somebody I used to spend a lot of time just chatting with. And uh, Dr. Kenyon has now retired. So we have this big void in the UK right now. And mm. this is a big problem um, for, for the UK. And, you know, we still have the care oncology clinic, which I'll come to in a minute. But, you know, we, we need more practitioners in the UK that can provide a wide range of services. There are other doctors that provide services as well, but hardly any of them will prescribe these drugs, which I'll come to in a sec. So I was merrily carrying on and then boom, I was coughing up blood. Eventually, and they didn't x-ray, of course, they brushed over it and completely realized that they had missed it. Anyway, so, you know, I'm down the road sort of Three months later, I go back and say, look, I'm still coughing. And anyway, so I, I then started coughing up the blood. So that was it. In I go. And uh, yep, I have a, a tumour in my, my lung. Quite, you know, it was a golf-sized bull one. And they said, right, um, we'll cut it out. I thought, okay, fine. I need time to just think about it and plan and strategize how I go about my whole life at this point mm. um i thought okay this is going to be hard to get through i'm i'm cha i've got to change everything like i changed quite a lot already and then it was right okay i've got to take it that step further um so i went on holiday married my husband quickly <laughs> right? and then we went on a sort of honeymoon and nice vitamin d and all the rest of it and really good quality mediterranean diet etc before i came back and then I, I underwent the surgery and um, I knew there were certain things that I needed to stop, things like something called COX-2, which is like an inflammatory thing. And I was talking to my surgeon, he didn't even know what that was. Anyway, <laughs> so I, I, I knew I was kind of going down this research. He knew the drug, he, he knew the well, drug or knew, drugs, yeah, but he, he wouldn't have known what it was for. No. So anyway, um, I ended up having the surgery and thank God, you know, everything that I've done since then has prevented any solid tumours coming back. And I was doing all sorts of other stuff, um, intravenous vitamin C, building up a huge, uh, I was called maracas because, you know, I was shaking with the amount of supplements that uh, I took, berberine being a really important part of that as well. And I was kind of the first person to, because nobody else I knew had even heard of berberine, uh, and I got it as the full tincture of Mahonia aquifolium wow. rather than berberine. I couldn't get berberine back then. I was looking for it, but it was not available. Nobody had actually manufactured berberine at this point. So, so in your journey, so, where you basically went from, you know, what you were said was, yeah. she was probably clinically staging you as stage 1B. And then basically in reality, when you did yeah. all the proper staging, you were stage 3. Stage but then three. very quickly stage 4. And as you clearly laid out, <clears throat> when somebody is laid, labeled stage four, which is why I don't use that, no. there's not hope that's given. It's no. that there's nothing that we can do. Yeah. This is going to be, you know, what terminates the your life. The final stage. That's right. And, and so that's why I don't do that because that just evokes fear. Yeah. And that rips hope from the heart of people. Totally. But totally. what you did is not only did you have to dive into the research, yeah. you had to go find the products yeah. themselves. Yeah. And then when you couldn't just find it in a supplement form, you were actually no. go 
and buying the tincture. Yeah, uh, the full spectrum herb in order to get the berberine from it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, you were doing um, a deep dive. Yeah, and oxyacanthine is also part. Anyway, so there are lots of things that I was looking for. Um, and I was gradually building up this protocol of lots of different things. And I did really well for a few years. I kept my cervical markers under normal, tickling along, you know, within normal range, uh, the SCC. Great. And then I suddenly started, you know, I was, okay, I had HRT, but the, this was, I suddenly got night sweats again. Uh, and I was on HRT at this point, And I thought, wow, what's going on now? Uh, these deep sweats at night, and then like the lethargy and the tiredness. I thought, this is this is something a bit beyond so what's it, going on. Was this on. like bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? I or? had that, yeah. I, okay. I, well, it, it was a fight to get that. I, okay. I couldn't get that on the NHS for sure. Okay. But anyway, um, but it wasn't that that was going on. What was going on was myelodysplasia in my bone marrow, which was a result of the high-dose chemo and the radiotherapy that I'd had before. Now, this is going to happen much more in the future because we're extending patients' lives by a significant amount. We've done some great stuff in the, in the medical field. We've extended people's lives with immunotherapies, with, you know, tyrosine kinase inhibitors. All these things are great. The targeted drugs are great. They're keeping people alive for longer. But some of the chemo and the radiotherapy has caused bone marrow issues, and you're going to get more secondary cancers as a result. And this was what was happening to me. Treatment-related uh, type of leukemia, sort of early form of leukemia. Yeah, so yeah, so that is an, ex so, you're, you're right, that is a definite extrapolation of yeah. what we're seeing today that people forget that chemo and radiation cause new cancers. Yeah. Not just cause it to spread, but cause yeah. new and, cancers. And here we are, somebody who had it. So, and um, it was, uh, I, I knew I was in deep trouble at this point. So this is when I'd actually already found some literature on some um, old drugs. One, the first one I'd sort of kept uh, the article on was something called dipridamol, which is an antiplatelet drug. And I'd read research to show that it was stopping stage four melanomas from progressing. And I also read research about it helping head and neck cancer patients and cervical cancer patients. So this is an HPV thing. So I thought, okay, great, well this, you know, will relate to myself. I don't know about whether it would help the leukemia, but it's working on the blood. It's an antiplatelet drug. It's having some effect on the circulation and it has these anti-cancer effects. I'm going to go and ask for it. So I went to ask Dr. Calibou. He was brilliant. He just sat there and said, well, I read about this in the 80s. And this is research I dug up from the 1980s. You know, it was an article from The Lancet. And um, he said, yeah, read about this back then. He'd been practicing a long time. And he said, yep, I'll write you a prescription. So that's brilliant. So I, I, say, yeah. I had that. Fantastic. And he had no, you know, side effects were low and low toxicity drug. Uh, off I ran with it to the pharmacy. So I then got that. And then uh, I went back then. My oncologist was doing a study on statins. And she's also looking into other things as well. But statins was one of her big research projects. And I was lucky. I'd chosen her. And in fact, when I got the secondary cancer, I binned my first oncology doctor that they gave me and said, no, no we're not my he, somebody who was, you know, um, uh, given to me as my, not as a choice, but this is who you're going to have. And I said, no, I want to go back to the first oncologist I had when I first had cancer. So um, 
but she was great and I had to travel quite a long distance to go and see her. But she said, okay, I'm looking at statins, I'm researching statins, they definitely have anti-cancer effects, I don't know which statin. So I brought her the research, brilliant, I can shortcut my research, this is a statin we're looking at, I said, Lovastatin is the one I want. So that's what, you know, it's one of the first statins mm -hmm. out there on the, on the market, much lower in terms of its potency than atorvastatin and simvastatin. Anyway, so it's a lipophilic statin that works. So she said, okay, I'll prescribe that. And I showed her the research about how the statin and the non-steroidal together synergize their effects and actually are five times more potent at killing the cancer than individually. And this is the key. It's the synergy between the drugs that really work. I didn't quite understand the synergy of everything I did until I started researching for my book. I'm thinking, geez, I did a good job, you know. <laughs> you basically um, just threw a five billion piece puzzle out on the floor yeah. and just started writing a book. Yeah, but I picked up the right pieces of the puzzle right. to actually put it together. And this is so, so, you know, part of it was luck, I think, coming across the right articles at the right time. Um, but part of it was just trying to work out what would work with what. So I knew the synergies were were really important. And I didn't know the synergy between dipridamol and statins. And that's another big one because they both work on the cholesterol pathway. And cancer makes a lot of cholesterol. It does it for um, communication, for other reasons I'm not entirely sure, but certainly for communication and probably for defense, I suspect, um, against treatments. But anyway, the cholesterol pathway that satin blocks is something called mevalonate, and the cholesterol pathway that dipridamol stops is something called strepi 2 You block one, the cancer uses the other one, and vice versa. Right. So I block both of those cholesterol pathways together, and ultimately the cancer wasn't able to make, and every cancer cell has cholesterol blobs on its surface. Um, that's the way that cancer evolves. It wouldn't be a cancer, and it wouldn't be a human cancer cell unless it had the cholesterol. So that was um, a key part of what I did. So at this point I had dipridamol, I had the statin, I had etodilac, um, and also I was taking the berberine. Where were you, at, what, what year was that roughly? So we're talking 2003 okay. at this point. Um, so this is about seven, seven or eight years after my um, initial cancer when I had all the chemo and radiotherapy and it's normally between seven and nine years that you get these secondary cancers from chemotherapy and radiotherapy and that kind of like okay right I'm right bang in the middle of that window right. for getting the secondary cancer. Anyway so I took these drugs seven months later I did so I was, I was looking at um, something called PKM2 which is pyruvate kinase. I'm just laughing. I mean, you're going into the deep. I mean, you yeah. truly took an investigative journalist yeah, approach to this. I did. So anyway, sorry. So yeah, I was looking at this marker, which is a marker of glycolysis yeah. going on. And that's the fermentation of the glucose, as you know. And I knew that if, and it was, it was something like 400 and it should have been under 15. So, um, so eventually, you know, seven months after taking my little cocktail, I do this test again 
and it's something like 20. It's still not quite under 15, but that was good enough for me. You know, yeah. that's like, yes, I've done it. And then I wasn't sure because I, this was me heading out across like a, a big vast ocean with no, no kind of GPS in the fog and everything. I had no clue how far I was going, whether I was going the right direction or, you know, I, it was a, a journey that I kind of didn't quite know where I was going or how long I should take the drugs for. I was worried. I didn't want to start taking drugs. So, you know, at that point I was, go natural. Everything's got to be natural. That was in my head. Can't possibly take off-label drugs. Can't do that. It's all got to be 100% natural. Been told drugs are terrible. They have all these side effects. It's got to come on. So anyway, I was trying it. So I came off the drugs. And then a year later, again, and this is me, kind of going a little bit, I'd let my hair down thinking, I've done it, I've yeah, made it. And I, right. you know, and then I um, went. And that happens to everybody. Yeah, I, I kind of took a window of time to just let my hair down and have a good time. Went back to drinking. I, you know, it was just not heavily, apart from sailing in Ireland for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't recall that week, do you? No. <laughs> um, and, you know, drinking Murphy's, which is rich in iron. All these things was kind of a, a disaster. Came roaring back, the PKM2 is shot up, and you know, everything was bad. And I, my cervical markers were shooting up as well. And I thought, so okay. There was correlation I, there yeah. amongst treatment, labs, yeah, no yeah. treatment, labs, all yeah. of it. Everything was wrong. My P53 was now deleted. And so there, there were things that weren't as obvious before, but were really obvious at that point. So I thought, right, okay. And then I took my combination again. Um, and I'd forgotten to take the Barberine actually the first time around. I kind of had dropped that because there wasn't any research about it other than this one piece of research. And this is a problem, you see, you forget certain things. You do, back then I didn't have a system for really keeping it all in, in control, what I was taking. It was sort of, I had a list and I said, what do I fit in? Intuitively, I was thinking, oh, I'll take a bit of this, I'll take a bit of that. And I was doing a lot but I didn't have berberine as a steady thing until I, and then I read the research again. Oh my goodness, I've got to put that back in my, my cocktail. So berberine went back in my cocktail at that point, and this is 2004. And again, it's like magic. My cancer just disappeared again. And I didn't need chemo. You know, I was worried. I thought, I'm not going to have any more big treatments, thank you very much. The chemo's caused it. I'm certainly not going to have any more. Um, so at that point, it was just the off-label drugs that actually got me back into remission with my, you know, the supplements, more intravenous vitamin C. I did quite a lot of intravenous vitamin C. I probably did a bit of ferroptosis, even though I didn't know I was doing it at the mm -hmm. time. I, I had artemisinin as sort of a wormwood stuff and, and things. And, yeah, and that was all part of my cocktail back then. But it's more for parasite cleansing. I had yeah. no clue what ferroptosis was. Anyway, so I was, I did all of that, um, and here I am. You know, we're, we're uh, twenty years after that point, nearly, um, and you know, I'm feeling great. She says, coughing. <laughs> <coughs> well, we know because because the, the AC is blowing in here. Well, You're not no, used to it in London. <laughs> no, I have cystic fibrosis as well. Just to add to my list of woes of the bad genetics that my parents have dealt me. Two APOE4 genes as well. Just oh, so really... now, she, now she's getting into epigenetics and genetics. Mm. So, you know, everything she was talking about here is really interesting. She's talking about deep, deep, deep science. Now, this is a positive statement, but she's not a medical doctor. 
and she's talking about the science. You know, I told you before that one of the things that I think is very powerful about your book that I discovered as we were going through that I, as I was going through it was one of the problems that is really big and getting worse is the divide between doctors and patients. Yeah. And that relationship is so critical and so intimate. Um, but what this book allows to do is it allows you yeah. and really the book to be a, a connecting point because yeah. you can connect with patients with your story. Yeah. They go, I've been there. Yes. Okay. I've had to, you know, make my opinions known to my oncologist. I've had to change doctors. I've had to say, can you read this, these studies? And I know that I'm a doctor, but I know it takes a lot of uh, courage yeah. for a patient to come to a doctor and say, please read this material. But at the same time, the part that I looked at first and then came back to the story, because like I said, I knew that your story would connect with the heart, it would connect with the soul. Yeah. I knew that because patients had told me that <laughs> you had connected with them. But that data has the ability to connect to doctors. Yeah, and, and that's important. And they can connect together yeah. through this book. Yeah, and the, the, the part of my story that's, you know, and, and being a mum, I needed to have, wanting to be a mum was part of my drive to keep going as well. And I tried adoption. Um, I wasn't allowed to. I was apparently going to be over the age by the time I was going to be clear. So they wouldn't let me do that. Uh, eventually, we went down the surrogacy route. We tried umpteen times. Eventually, it finally worked. Uh, so I now have two amazing boys. Uh, one is now 17. The other one is 14. And I've achieved it. I've achieved everything I wanted. But it was, it was a fight. It was such a battle. And I kept coming across all these roadblocks all the time. But one by one, I just knocked them down. I kept going. I think it's dogged determination that really got me where I am today. So, and I think that's what patients really take from my book is don't give up, you know, is keep going, keep going. You can overcome so many things if you just put your mind to it. Yeah, well, and we'll wrap up on this story part and we're going to dive into the deep in a second. But I think this quote, you know, we talked about it just briefly on the, um, the Facebook Live that we did. But you said not only... Well, actually, I'll read the whole quote. This is the story of how I beat all the odds and for forged a unique path somewhere between complementary and orthodox medicine, not only ridding myself of cancer, but regaining vibrant health on the way. What you say here is that on my journey, yeah, your journey is one that's still continuing. Oh, yeah. Your journey of ridding yourself of the cancer is still continuing. Your healing and regaining that vibrant health is still continuing. Totally. And what, you're, what you've shown is that your ability to grab a hold of the reins of your healing and run with it lifelong, not three years, not five years, yeah. but decades, now a family. You are living your yeah, dream. I You're am. living your purpose. I, I pinch myself. Sometimes I just can't believe it. But you're changing how people yeah. can approach their journey yeah. with cancer. And yeah. here you are in Las Vegas of all places. <laughs> and I'm talking to a British, a Londoner yeah. about her journey in cancer. And in just a few minutes, well, you won't see that, but in the next podcast, we're going to dive deep. 
Okay. So all those fancy names, pyruvate dehydrinase, matrix metalloproteinases, hypoxinducible factor one alpha, all these crazy words, we're gonna dive into them. And I'm gonna let her give you some insight and some clues at what she thinks can help you there. So thank you for watching this podcast. Again, Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. Share this with people that you think could benefit from this information. Hope, healing's possible right here. Hope and healing are possible present in Jane McClellan, best-selling international book, you know, How to Starve Cancer. Also, check me out on my website, drgoodyear.com, Instagram, dr.goodyear, every social media you can find me. And where can they find you, Jane? They can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I don't do TikTok. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I do, uh, so I have, a, I have a website, obviously, howtosolvecancer.com. Um, and I also have an online course which people find really helpful, and that's on Teachable, How to Solve Cancer on Teachable, teachable.com. And you look up How to Solve Cancer, or it's on my website. You'll okay. find link to my books and course and recommended products, etc., on there. So, okay, great. Yeah. So, we're fixing to take some deep dives down the rabbit hole trail. So, check out the next couple of podcasts The True Honor with Jane McClellan, international bestselling author, healer, and survivor of stage four cancer. Thank you. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease. Our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.